0: Ever wonder what it's like to face a 350-pound lineman who wants to smash you into the ground? I know what that feels like. Scott Mitchell here, and I want to tell you about my podcast, Helmets Off, where I talk about the pressures of being an NFL quarterback and some of the other pressures pro athletes face when the helmet is off. It's a podcast, and you can get it free on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and at kslsports.com. Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404.
1: Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today is part two of our episode with Will
0: Wise. It shifted in such a way that I got really clear about my intent before walking into a room. I invite, so when clients call me and they're interested in amplifying trust in their workplace, you know, One of the questions my partner Chad loves to ask is How will we know when this meeting is over that it was successful?
1: This is another episode of Innovation and in Leadership where we interview all kinds of high achievers from world class musicians to CEOs, authors, and pro athletes. Try to find the common elements of success no matter what you're working on. Um, he's the founder of WeAnd.me. That's the web address. Uh, they call the company We. If you missed part one, please go back because this conversation is just an extension of that one may not make as much sense. Um, So we're talking about this idea of back and forth between the the dictatorship (laughs) type of model of leadership, the, you know, everybody is the same, too many cooks in the kitchen, death by committee, one side versus, you know, the the thin railing, the balance beam in the middle, middle of leadership, balancing group involvement, plus actually, you know, being the one who makes stuff happen and move things forward. Um, And I really want to explore, well, why don't you finish your thought where we're ending off on on episode one about, you know, just briefly cover your definition of leadership more fully than I just did, and then finish kind of the thought you had at the end of episode one.
0: So leadership is making something happen that wasn't going to happen that includes the concerns of all the relevant parties. And what we were talking about is this balance beam. And as soon as somebody puts me into an expert role and I accept being an expert, the learning stops. And I think as leaders, we need to turn on our insatiable curiosity and so one way to do that is to be an explorer. Even if you've done something a hundred times, you know, even as the river guide has gone down the river many times, he thinks he knows where all the rocks are, but the river is constantly changing. And the people that he has with him are not the same people that he had with him last week and so often we show up to work thinking we've got the same people with us but they had some experience in the last week or in the last 24 hours that makes them even different and so how do we continue to be in this explorer mindset and i think that is the edge of this dictatorship partnership kind of dynamic death by committee as you were calling it and be balanced on the beam use your expertise when needed and if you rely on being an expert you're not you're basing your opinion on what's happened in the past and if you're going to create something new that wasn't going to happen anyway it's almost as if you have to create a clearing for an opportunity for something to happen and it can't be based on the past. If we're so stuck on what's on the past, nothing new is going to happen because we've got lots of data of why something new is not going to happen.
1: It's like the difference: can we do this versus how can we do this, right? Um, it makes me think. Um, you know, I'm looking at your website and I'm seeing these these uh, these logos of folks you guys have done stuff with. Jeff, you know, JetBlue, Starbucks, Penn State. Goodwill, Cigna Healthcare, Johnson and Johnson. Um, I'm interested how this is applied, and or, or or maybe if if you want to go another direction. But I'm interested how you've seen this with any of these kind of clients of like, you know, for the person who already thinks they're an expert, you know, if the cup's already full, there's not room for more information. Versus that approach of the beginner's mind, you know, that you're I think you're calling insatiable curiosity, that explorer mindset. Yeah. Do you have any stories of you know one of these big fancy companies we've all heard of? If, how that <laughs> how that uh, happened with one of these clients or helped?
0: Um, one thing that I'm going to speak in generalizations here for a moment. So I've worked with enough companies when you come in when I. I come in, I see that they are operating in a particular way that is very much dictated by their past. And I think, as I was alluding to earlier, that leaders often get put into a position because they're able to solve problems. And as they get further and further from the front line, there's a requirement In order for them to be really successful is to ask powerful questions that get them back into um, that beginner's mind, as you call it, or that explorer mind, or actually discovering what's on the front line. What I see so often is fear, and as you were talking about earlier in your example, fear that people cannot... Name what the real issue is for fear of losing their job. So I was working with one organization in which the um, CEO let's call him He was actually a director a director of a huge program in which there was a reoccurring problem in which turnover was really really high and and There was a new recruit in the room that I had been working with for about six months. And I was watching this meeting happen. And what she, what I heard everybody else doing was blaming, and blaming the employees for why the turnover was so high. And what she did was so beautiful. She simply asked, how did I contribute to this problem? And she said it out loud. And when she did that, she took ownership of that question for herself. You could see the eyeballs in the room of people looking at her and then hearing the question and then looking up on the ceiling. Like suddenly they went inside and they were exploring. And, and <clears throat> excuse me. as a result of that, everybody started looking about how they have contributed to this problem. And what was realized is somebody said, oh my gosh, I I think I'm contributing to this problem. Six months ago when we hired them, I asked them if they had 20 hours available in their schedule for this project that they were working on. And I realized I should have asked them if they had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights between 6 and 8 p.m. available in their schedule. All of them said yes, that they had time in their schedule, and they thought they could fit it in on Saturday or Sunday or throughout. And so what happened from that moment on, some other people named their contributions to why the turnover was high. (laughs) All their intake, all of their – hiring practices from then on became really clear about what their needs were, the next um, quarter their turnover went from um, being so high to less than 1%. When they got really clear about what their own contributions to the turnover was and not blaming the employees, engagement went up.
1: You know, um, I've, I'm. I love the principle you're bringing up. I, f- I feel like um, the Stoics really hammer this issue of like what's in my control. You know wh- what do I have influence on versus what's outside of my influence, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think about myself and how often I resort to, you know, some sort of accusation or blaming about a situation, versus like asking that question you know what's within my circle like that i can influence about this and yeah. and like getting really really worried about that um you know there's that a lot of people read the good to great book and uh it talks about the stockdale paradox the guy um who was in the prison camp and i don't know if you remember that that story but um i went out and found that guy's writings james stockdale and uh he just has like such great content about this subject and And being the senior official in these Vietnam prison, you know, prisoner of war camps for years and and being tortured in solitary confinement and all these things and still making his own choices. It's kind of like, yeah, in some ways, it reminds me of Viktor Frankl or that book Unbroken. Right. And um, it's interesting uh, how like I know I know you wrote the book, Powerful Questions. No, tell me the name. Ask Powerful Questions.
0: Okay. Ask powerful questions create conversations that matter
1: okay yeah so by the way everybody go to go to his <laughs> website weand.me, and and uh, and check out his book and his cards and these things um but it is interesting how the question we ask invites different answers where if we ask a different question it invites different answers right like if you ask the question in your situation what are all the staff doing wrong that's hurting our retention you're going to get answers for that and if you ask the question You know what's in my control that I'm doing that's reducing retention I'm gonna get different answers right yeah even though supposedly the same issue (laughs) what's another thing like that what's something else that you feel like having spent all this year studying this and going to school and teaching it what's something else you feel like you wouldn't have learned if you hadn't put in the hours doing this and observing people doing this
0: work that's a lovely question I think two things that come to mind quickly. So in the book, there's a pyramid, and the bottom of the pyramid is intention. And, you know, the way I wrote the book, it's writing for me is really challenging. I love doing and engaging and teaching, and I have a learning disability that makes writing hard for me. And so the way I wrote was I would close my eyes and imagine people in the room and I would just be teaching my lessons to them, right, and asking them questions so that it could be revealed. Well, when you write it in a book, there's nobody standing there. There's nobody to have the revealing come from. So I found that really challenging. And so I had a number of editors, eight in total, (laughs) read the book and one of them was like, Will, this intention chapter has to come first. And I was like, no, no, no. Let's do the rapport and connection first because if people can get connected, then everything else can flow from there. There, There's enough handles there. And this one particular editor I'm forever grateful for, she really pushed and said, if you really want intention to be at the bottom of the triangle, then put it there and start the book from there. And when I did that, everything about my work shifted. It shifted in such a way that I got really clear about my intent before walking into a room. I invite, so when clients call me and they're interested in amplifying trust in their workplace, you know, one of the questions my partner Chad loves to ask is, how will we know when this meeting is over that it was successful? And it's such a great question to bring out people's intent and get clear about that intention. And so I share that with you because anytime that conflict arises, if you got clear about what your intent was before you started it, you stated it, then manipulation is not possible because manipulation is purely getting somebody to do something without telling them that's what you're trying to get them to do. But if you're clear about what your intent is, then suddenly the whole manipulation thing fades into the background, and you guys can agree to play a certain game. And when things get tense, you can always come back to that intention, and it reduces that. And so I was working with a company that's in the transportation industry, had five major brands Uh, oldest company of its kind, and I did this experience with them where they were all up and moving around, and they were competing with each other. And they were competing with each other so intensely that they couldn't see that they were competing with each other. They said that they had you know, one overarching brand, but in reality was they were so experienced in competing with each other that it showed up in all their interactions. So competition on some level can be healthy, but when we exaggerate competition to this really major way, we're basically stealing and hoarding from each other. So the experience was nearly over and we were talking about it. And the, again, a relatively new CEO had come from the shipping industry, really successful. And he was stepping into a, um, family owned business and he was trying to figure out who he was in that. And he asked me, Will, what was your intent in doing this activity i said that is a really great question and i'm sorry if i wasn't clear about it in the beginning but can you look and see what the intent of this activity might have been and you could see him pause his eyes kind of roll up and he says are you saying that if we didn't compete with each other we would have been successful with this activity and i just kind of nodded my head and smiled And then another conversation ensued. Six months later, when I worked with them, there was not anything that I could do to get them to compete with each other. (laughs) And I said, "Okay, so something has changed. Tell me what's changed. And they said, we now ship supplies up and down the East Coast. We have created five different protocols so that our systems are married as a whole rather than... Separate and for the first time in twenty years, we are making profit on a grand scale that we weren't able to do before getting clear about intent made it so that they could have their own aha about their own learning so um, i
1: I just uh, was complaining to my wife on the phone when I was driving home here an hour ago getting ready for this show about <laughs> about how poorly I facilitated a meeting with a, a a company, senior leadership at a company this morning and uh we it was really like um you know hurting the cats didn't go well. It ended up being death by committee and I was just like really disappointed in myself in like value for the customer for for what happened with this time,
0: right? Thanks for sharing all that.
1: Yeah. And um, so, like, I spent the hour before we got on the call here today, like, post it noting out all these things about, you okay. know, what kind of a structure can I put in place, um, to, you know, to set, like, what kind of things can I do structurally to not waste people's time like that again? You know, how can yeah. I approach this? And uh, I'm fascinated with this idea of intention that you're bringing up now. Because um, I think part of the reason it went so sideways was uh, lack of clarity of destination and then lack of clarity of intention of why like why am I there? These are a bunch of smart executives who've been running the company. You know, they're number one in their marketplace. They got there without me. What what am I here for? And you know, there's specifically one executive that I think felt somewhat threatened by me being there and I hadn't done anything up front to um to dispel that right so here i go trying to help them solve problems and i'm pretty sure the guy was trying to decide if he liked me or not you know the chances he wants any of my (laughs) ideas before he's decided me like before he decides he likes me are pretty low in my experience um so this intention thing i i also think like a bunch of our conversation this morning was um it got pretty sideways into like the five meter target instead of the, like the 50 mile destination. Right. Like it, it it quickly devolved into like features and benefits instead of like, do we even want to be in this business? Right. (laughs) Um, do you have any tips for the rest of us that, that want to be more, um, purposeful? Like (laughs) it sounds dumb. It's like a dumb sentence. Want to be more intentional about setting intentions.
0: Yes. So let me tell you one more story that might reveal an answer for your listeners. I was working with a family-owned company that has every major city in the U.S. – I should say four major cities in the U.S. and two major cities internationally. And Mm -hmm. they're the only – they are – in a really unique niche. And there's a few other companies that do what they do, but not on the scale that they do. And this was a company that had reached us through our WeConnect cards. And the PR person really loved what we were up to. And so my primary contact was the PR person. And she promised me that the, event that we were going to hold could be held in the foyer of the family home. And I was like, this is an annual sales meeting. How many people are we talking? She said 35 to 40. I said in a circle in the foyer. She said, yes. So I decided that I needed to get there a day early. So I got there a day early. I ended up connecting with the president of the company and Um, showed up at his house and there was no connection he immediately just started pointing he said okay here's how we set up the tables work and here's where." and he just kind of started doing the task and I realized oh my gosh I'm task oriented too. I have to build a connection here in order for us to be able to move forward and so we started I made a real effort to focus on intention and connection We ended up working on his intent for his company for the next four hours, sitting on his family's porch, (laughs) and we did the retreat the next day, and then two weeks afterwards, I followed up with him, and I said, so how's it going? And He says, you know, I have to tell you something. I hated that girl. I was looking, I hated that woman, he actually said. I hated that woman, and I was looking for a way to fire her. All before the retreat, I was trying to figure out a way to fire her, and I didn't know who he was talking about, and then it immediately occurred to me that there was one woman who showed up who was disconnected, not engaged, Um, everybody else was kind of huggy and wanting to be with each other, definitely very chatty, and she just sat down and started typing on her cell phone. So I sat down next to her and started chatting. She's like, who are you? I don't recognize you, and I said, I'm here to help bring in some connection. Who are you? And she was from one of the overseas places and she was leaving her child behind for the first time. And she was really in a lot of angst and she didn't really know anybody in the company. And I realized that the president was talking about her and he he continues with the story and he says, I hated her. And then you had us do connection. You had us talk about things that mattered. And I randomly got selected with her twice and in the second conversation I realized that I loved her and I was looking for ways to support her and all of that hate was coming from other people and people were telling me the problem that she was and then once I saw what she was up against I realized she wasn't the problem at all that the system was the problem two weeks later he was on an airplane going to that major city overseas and that company's profit that quarter went up Uh, exponentially. And the reason why I'm telling you that story is because the two key pieces that showed up there was intent and connection. And so getting clear about your intent, I got clear with mine and saying, Hey, Mr. President, we need to connect. (laughs) And then we ended up having this whole long conversation about his intent. And when he realized that his intent could actually give direction to the company. He wanted to get it so precise, but he also then wanted to share it in such a way that people could slice it apart. He had watched, um, Simon Sinek's people don't care about what you do. They care about why you do it. And he wanted to nail that. And in that creation of it, he wanted to create through our conversation. He knew he needed to make connection a important piece of the work that they do. And it was totally missing from the way that they were interacting. Wow. That was a long winded story. Did that help?
1: Yeah. Um, That's like the sound of regret in my voice for having not done that (laughs) previous times. Um, Okay. I love this. I feel like, uh, you know i feel like we could do like 10 more episodes here i know we're running out of time um what's what's something um you know i'll i'll promote for you for anybody who hasn't heard it earlier in this episode the last episode you know please go check out will and his will's work at weand.me uh is the web url um but will what's uh what's something that you would want to leave with us as kind of your your closing thought here
0: I appreciate you asking. One of the things that often shows up in my work, and this was based upon a student, is I would give out homework, and one of the students said, this is not homework. This is self-work. This works on me, and I'm, I'm transforming as I do this work. And so I think one thing that could be fun to leave your leaders with is your listeners with and I'm calling them leaders. Listen to that. If they're listening to this, they have to be leaders,' right? <laughs> going to something happen that wasn't going to happen anyway. If you want to be a leader, challenge yourself to follow your genuine natural curiosity. And find those moments. It could be while you're standing in the line at the bank. It could be while you are getting food at the fast food restaurant. Find moments with your colleagues in which you can ask a question based upon your own natural, genuine curiosity. I think curiosity is the key to helping us be in a explore mindset. It helps us leave the dictatorship and be in a place where we're traveling a new territory as if we're seeing it for the first time. And so one of the tools that I um, give people as they start this journey with the concepts and ask powerful questions is find something that somebody is wearing, caring, sharing, anything that they are presenting. And ask a question based upon your own natural curiosity. Now, there's a little bit of a trap in there. It's funny how people hear this. What they'll do is they'll look for something that they like. And I'm not saying you're shopping. You're not looking at them as if there's something there that you want to buy. Why is it they're wearing a purple hat? If they're wearing a purple hat, right? What is it about who they are, that they're presenting themselves, right? When they get up dressed in the morning, they're presenting themselves with this attire that they put on, or they're speaking about something. And if you are curious about it, ask. If you're not curious about it, so if you and I start talking about sports, I'm not so curious about sports, so my natural curiosity is not gonna show up there. But I might be curious to why you are a fanatic about sports. And so I might not ask about that particular game, but I might ask, why are you so excited about that? I am curious about that. And so find things in your environment that you are naturally, genuinely curious about and ask people about them and listen to what shows up and then allow another question to show up. And you don't have to spend tons of time doing this. Try it with strangers first, right? There's nothing to lose with a stranger. Try it in the elevator if you really want to challenge yourself. Interesting. You
1: know, I think uh, to second that, um, I I feel like uh, both that book, Humble Inquiry, the Ed Schein book, the MIT guy, where he says, you know, we we have a society that focuses on telling when there's so much to be gained by asking. Yeah. But the other one is um, the guy who I believe is the highest box office producing movie producer in the world. Um, okay. it's Brian Glaser and he came out with a book called curious about yeah. like decades of trying to find people from outside Hollywood and, and setting these like one hour conversations with them for him to just be curious in them and why he feels like that gave him such an advantage and produced the results that he produced. And, uh, anyways, it's interest, you know, I always like to see a principal show up multiple places and, uh, yep.
0: When my partner read that book, I can see his calendar and you can see at least once or twice a week, curious conversation. Like he (laughs) purposely met with people and just really tried to be exploratory. And that's where the learning happens, right? Learning does not happen when you're an expert. Learning happens when on the other side of knowing, right on the other side of knowing is an opportunity to learn. And as we know more and more, we need to push that envelope Push to the edge of that knowing and see what is on that cutting edge. And that's where the learning is.
1: I love it. Well, let's end there. Uh, Will, thanks for making so much time for us here.
0: Thank you. It was my pleasure. It was fun talking to you.
1: Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about. If you will remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and... Trent Mano. I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or four hundred million dollars. Anyways, he uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time. For like 10 or 20 cents you pick what billboard you want it on what time of day you want it to run and it just puts so much power in the hands of of marketers and ceos who want to try something and see if it works you can buy as many or as few as you want change it as many times as you want Uh, i think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors we're pretty excited about it hope you check out blip billboards.com thanks At Farmers Insurance, we have concrete evidence that parking under an industrial cement mixer, that's just asking for trouble. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We
0: are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers, Truck Fire Insurance, Exchange, and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.